All right, take your Bibles and let's turn to the book of Exodus. Book of Exodus, chapter 20. We are in, um, in the series of the, the Ten Commandments. And, um, you know, I had been praying through this series and, and just thinking through, um, you know, the, the sermons here and, and writing them. And I got to tell you, I have, I have just found as I've been studying that every, every command has been so relevant to us. Has it not? I mean, from the, from the very beginning, we began with a declaration that God is God. And, and we, we, and then we kind of moved in from there and, and we learned that, that God does not like competition. He doesn't want other people crowding into, into his territory for your worship, because every moment that we spend worshiping something else, we are not worshiping our Lord. And why is that so important that we need to worship him? Because it is only the Lord God who has done for you both good and sometimes not so good, but done it to do a work in your life. There's not an idol in this world that's ever done anything for me. And, and I could go on and on about how each of these commands speak to where we are today. And especially this command number nine. It's simple. It's in verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In other words, God somehow thinks, as crazy as it might seem, that your individuality is worth something. And this command helps us to protect it. The title of this sermon is called No Other Me, and it's so true. There is no other you on the face of this planet. We have said it by, by a joke of certain people. Oh, when they made such and such, they broke the mold. Hey, they broke the mold after every single one of us was created and brought into this world. There is no other you. And we're going to talk about the value of no other you. We're going to talk about what God does with no other you. First, let me tell you a story. In September, uh, December 2001, the uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish hired a brand new head coach. His name was George O'Leary. And they, they hired him, and, and, and whether you like them or not, I don't, you know, they're not really much on my radar screen, but you can't argue that just the title, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, that is a very prestigious team to be able to be a head coach for, whether it's basketball or, or football. And in this case, it was football. And here was George O'Leary, December 2001. He is taking the helm of one of the most recognized college football teams that we've ever known about. Second day on the job, he gets a phone call. <clears throat> he gets a phone call from a reporter who is uh, wanting to find out more information about uh, 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 Coach O'Leary. And, but he has a question. He says, uh, Coach, I was looking at uh, some of your experience that you said that you had, but I, I, I wanted to do an interview with some folks that you played football with at, North, at New Hampshire. Problem is, I didn't find anybody. Uh, can you explain what's happening? Can you tell me, what, you know, uh, well, injuries and sicknesses, stuff like that. Okay. Uh, maybe some of that was, was, was going on. Well, it, it, it was kind of a strange that he said he was somewhere doing something for a while, but they can't find any evidence to back it up. Later on, uh, the, the sports information director from Notre Dame got involved, and sure enough, they found out on his resume, he lied. He made up a segment of his coaching career 
just came up with it out of thin air, that he had spent time and lettered in three years of football in New Hampshire. Well, you can imagine the fallout. Brand new coach. I mean, he had like gotten to the pinnacle of and top of the ladder of what his career would let him do. Coaching Division 1A and it's the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. But he had to be fired. And he was fired. Why? He was ultimately uncomfortable with who he was and had decided and concocted in his mind that for me to get this job, for me to do something in my life worthwhile, I've got to pretend to be something that I am not. And it wound up costing him the very job that he was wanting to go after. Problem is, George O'Leary is just like us. At some point in time or another, we will have a problem with our identity. And listen, the world knows that we struggle with our identity. That's why we see the commercials for hair coloring and makeup. And we see the commercials for, for, for us to do those things and to buy those clothes and to do those things to, to alter our image so that maybe deep down inside, if we have trouble with who we are, something external will have an effect on something internal. Every one of us have gone through those crises. And there's nothing immoral against hair coloring. There's nothing immoral against a brand of clothing, okay? It's okay to, you know, have those. I mean, I grew up in a home. My mother has been a, 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 a hairdresser for over 50 years. And even I struggle. As a teenager, I think teenagers, we kind of go through that time, that season where we just, we just don't get who we are. And I went through a time, and, and um, you're going to laugh. And I've decided it's going to be okay. But there was a time, teenagers, I was uh, 13, 14 years old, and I said, my mom has a, has a beauty shop. There it was attached to her house, still is, right there, and same chair, same everything. I decided that I, I want to perm. I just want to, what is it like to have curly hair? Mom said, are you sure you want to do this? Yeah, mom. I just, I've never had, I've always had straight, just plain blah hair. I want curly hair. Thank God there are no known photographs of that era in my life. Don't worry. Don't call mom and dad. Okay. I'm not even going to give you their phone number. It will not do you any good. There, there's, there's nothing from that time period. But we do. We, we all struggle. And I think some of you are in your 70s and maybe 80s and you still wrestle with the person that you are. You may have a problem with the person that you are. Can I just go ahead and tell y'all, everyone in here, I want you to listen very closely. There's one person that never has had a problem with who you are, and that's Jesus. He, he, listen, you have been created in his image, and from the womb and to the tomb, listen, you are who God has created you to be. 
And there are some reasons why I want you to be okay with that, that this verse kind of uh, lends to application. And, and there are some things that we need to be on guard against. And, and we'll kind of go over all of that this morning. First of all, the implications of this command, before I get into any application, the implications to this command are kind of wide-reaching. And, and you've heard the phrase, you know, uh, tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Well, well that's from this verse. I mean, that's, that reinforces that truth. That this command about bearing a false witness and, and why we should not do that, it touches on many other things, like, like the power of the tongue and gossip. We, we can talk about other people outside of, of their presence. Listen, hey, here's how you know if it's gossip. If you won't say it to their face, don't say it behind their back. That's gossip. Other verbally rooted sins, and, and, and we, we, we try to disintegrate and, 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 and get into these, you know, alter identities that just aren't even comfortable to us. But yet, all the while, we want to spend that time doing that, and we think we're like some Clark Kent, and we're just going to emerge as Superman or Superwoman, when in fact, it's going to be completely the, the opposite. We're going to be Dr. Danner, and we come out being the Incredible Hulk instead and tear things up and do bad things. Later on in, in the New Testament, Jesus just said, listen, in terms of your identity and who you are and how you present, just, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't, don't worry about having to concoct stories. Just, just tell the truth. Just live your life in truth. It'll be so much simpler I can't remember if it was finally attributed to, 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 to uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln, but there was a quote, and I know it has been attributed to him, but I don't know if he was the final ultimate source that if you always tell the truth, you will never remember and worry uh, about having to remember what you've said. Likewise, not just verbally, but in our lives in general, if we just live lives that are true to ourselves and true to the Word of God, we don't have to worry about the kind of life that we're living. We won't have those Jekyll and Hyde moments where we have to put on this face in front of one crowd and then put on another face in, in front of another crowd. So here, here are some, some issues about denying our identity. And I'm going to go ahead and begin with the most important one. Now, in, in speech class, if you ever took a speech class, they'll tell you, you hold off on your most important point to the end. But I've got to give it to you at the beginning because I want you to remember it for the whole duration of this sermon. And here's point number one. Denying my identity denies God the chance to be God. If you want to be someone other than who you are, don't expect God to necessarily respond in true fashion. And here's why. I have some biblical proof. Number one, it begins with Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If we're going to pretend and live our lives as if we're okay, then how is God going to be able to come in at the end of that Romans road in Romans chapter 9, where we are supposed to confess with our mouth and believe with our heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. If we can't begin with an understanding that we are sinners before a holy God and everything's okay with my life, how can we expect God to come in at the end the knight in shining armor, and to save us, cleanse our hearts and our lives from sin and give us eternal life. And when we deny our identity, when we forget who we are, and we forget that we have been tainted by sin, we deny God the chance to come in to be our Savior. Also, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 10, I want to uh, kind of take you there real quickly. If you want to put your finger in Exodus, and let's head over to to, to 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 12, an important text that's going to uh, kind of bear upon this whole understanding. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is, is, is really defending his ministry. And, and, um, and he says, listen, he says in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy uh, arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You need to underline that, that verse, verse 5 right there. We take every single thought captive captive. In other words, listen, when we deny our identity and we deny the fact that we'll have problems in our life, even after Jesus, we forget that there is a God who continues to love us unconditionally and that there is a truth, his truth, God's truth, that is more supreme than any of my supposed truth. And it's, and listen, his truth is outweighs always your opinions on any matter. And Paul says, listen, I'm going to take every thought captive and make sure it's just in line with what God wants. And if I'm going to pretend like I know it all, if I'm going to pretend like I've got all the answers, and I'm going to pretend like I, like, you know, I am so sure of myself without having submitting that to Jesus, say, God, does this make sense? Is this right for me to think this way, believe this way, behave this way? Then we deny God a chance to be God in our lives. But I think also, listen, when we deny our identity and deny God the chance to be God in our lives, there's no way on earth that we could be satisfied with the provisions that God has given to us. Philippians chapter 4, there is a, an, an off-quoted, and I want you to turn there too, just turn a few more pages over from Second Corinthians over to Philippians chapter 4. And there's an off-quoted uh, series of verses People love to, to put it on their social media, and they'll call it their life verse. And I like this verse as much as anybody, but I'm afraid sometimes we forget its context. It's Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. Paul continues to write, he says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Are you really kidding me? You want to claim this verse as your own church, but are you super content wherever God puts you? You mean it's okay being in the hospital? You mean it's okay to go through this divorce? You mean it's okay? I mean, really, are, are we really wanting to understand that this verse means what it means? I, I mean, do, do we really get it? Paul says, yeah, if I'm going to let God be God, and I'm, gonna, and I'm not going to be anybody else but who God has made me to be, no matter whatever hardship or struggle or good times or bad times or anything in between, I want to be content and rest in God's grace and in his mercy and in his provisions. I need to let God be God in my life. Whether or not I have messed it up or I am party to the problem, it doesn't matter. I want to let God be God during this time and let him fix me and let him take me to a place I could have never gotten on my own. The verses continue. I know how to be, verse 12, I know how to be brought low and, and know how to abound in any and every circumstance. Really, church? Do you think we can really do that? You mean any and every circumstance? You're okay with letting God be God? Can I tell you something? I'd be embarrassed sometimes to count this as a verse that I would trust in. Because to tell you the truth, I'm not always content. 
To tell you the truth, I get kind of angry and upset with some of the things that God allows into my life. And that's my decision-making time, isn't it? And that's your decision-making time. Am I going to put on another identity? Am I going to just put on another mask? And I'm going to just kind of keep trucking and act like it doesn't exist? Or am I going to understand that, God, you are sovereign and you are holy? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, which means, God, I am not you. I don't even come close. I don't measure up. So, so God, the, the place that I am in, I'm probably here because of my own screw-up. I realize that, Lord. But I need for you to be God right now in this moment, and I'm going to trust and I'm going to rest in you, and I'm going to accept my consequences. I'm going to do this. I'm, going to do, you know, I'm just going to take what's coming, Lord, because at the, at the other side of this thing, I'll be better because of it. Listen, church, if you continue to deny the Lord to be God in your life, how can we ever expect his blessings to come? How can, how can we ever have that Psalm 23 moment? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He'll lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. Well, I don't know if he really can if we refuse to acknowledge that we're actually there. That's why it's so important to be who we are because as we are who we are, God can be who he needs to be in your life. I want you to listen to uh, Miss Mary Lynn, Dr. Mary Lynn. She's a clinical psychologist. She wrote a book called The Fully Lived Life, and she write about just kind of being true to who we are. And she says, faking your way through life is believing that if you let people know the real you, they won't like you. Maybe it seems that nothing you ever do is ever enough. The tapes that play in your head say that if people really knew what was going on inside you, they would lose respect for you. Maybe you keep trying to pretend to make others happy, including God, and you are exhausted physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And while you play those roles, juggling those masks that you have to wear and hide your pain, the pressure increases to keep pretending you have it all together. Consider the cost of our souls when we do this the loss of ourselves. I would never discover my true identity unless I began identifying and laying down my masks. And so I began a process of stripping down the defenses I had built up over the years. Some of you have been hiding it for a long time. And you're afraid to be your true self. This isn't invitation time, but I think, it's, I think right now is the time we just need to kind of come together on something and agree together on something. We call this place a what? What is the name of this place? It starts with an S. Sanctuary. What's a sanctuary? It's a safe place. We just need to kind of have an understanding that this is a safe place for anyone and everyone to be able to take that mask off. Because the moment you start figuring and you start thinking that, well, 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 Preacher, what about this and what about this? Yeah, what about that? What about your masks? What about your Pharisee masks that you refuse to take off? What about that holier-than-thou attitude that make you think that you're all right and everybody else is under you? Jesus had some words for those kinds of people, and they were never pleasant, never complimentary. This is a safe place. And it should be a safe place. 
Because only in a place like this can we truly experience God's outrageous mercy and His unlimited love. That's why it's so important. We need to come to grips with who we really are. And as long as we, and as long as you continue to deny who you are, and if I deny who I am, we are denying God a chance to be God. And I can promise you this, not because I have a verse and a chapter and book in mind, but just, just through experience. We've been praying for revival. I just don't think revival comes until we start taking off those masks of who we are. Every revival that I've ever read about in history, it began with confession of sin. It began with an acknowledgement that we are messed up, every single one of us, and that the only solution is the blood of Jesus. And if we wanted, we wanted to pretend like everything's okay and just whatever, that's fine. You're going to be missing out on what God has in store for you. Number two, denying my identity denies others the chance to be themselves. Have you ever thought about that? If I'm going to be fake in front of other people, what do you think their response is going to be? It has to be fake because the response they give is to something that's not real. You deny people a chance to just be who they are. You know what what gets me? Uh, In a funny way, it kind of gets me. Um, every now and again, I'll, uh, I need to speak with someone. I'll say, Hey, let's come to my office. Not, you know, not because it's like, whatever. It's just, sometimes you just got to get away from the noise and I want to have someone's undivided attention and they get my undivided attention. And what do they say? Oh, I'm getting called into the pastor's office. I'm getting called to the principal's office. Right? So I must be in trouble. Right? Well, s- some of you, you are really in trouble and I just ain't talked to you yet about it, but that's okay. But no, 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 I'm just teasing. No, no, it's not like that. But it's kind of a, a funny illustration, a funny way of saying, you know, when we have these presuppositions of a conversation or something going on, sometimes we put up defenses, we put up walls, and, and, and the way that we respond ain't really who we are. It's not us. And so it's important for me to be who I am, to not bear a false witness against any of you because I want you to be true back to me. Because sometimes, have you ever thought of it this way? Sometimes you're true to me may be a hurt true. It may be a true that, that is kind of weak and, and I may never find out that you need some encouragement unless you be true back to me because I have been true to you. I don't mean to confuse you that way, but you kind of get what I'm saying. And there's a perfect biblical illustration. I was kind of thinking about, you know, something modern day, something current. I'm like, well, dude, the Bible has like an awesome story about this. David and Goliath. You remember the story, David and Goliath? You'll find it in in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You remember Goliath? He was like the big super dude, right, of the Philistines. He towered over and above them, you know, and he kept, he kept calling out to, to, to Israel all the time. He said, uh uh-huh, you guys, you're weak, you're cheap, your God is nothing. But I mean, he, just, he was taunting them. And here comes little David, sent by his dad to come check on his brothers. He's got the basket full of food. And he hears Goliath. He said, um, listen, guys, I, I don't mean to, like, call any shots here, but... Aren't we a redeemed people? 
aren't we called to be God's people? Did, did not God make a covenant to us? Then why is this uncircumcised Philistine saying all this stuff and y'all ain't just smashing him to pieces? Why are y'all afraid of him? Well, they were afraid of him. David says in, in you know, Chris Wooded version of the story, I'll go out and fight him if nobody else will. King Saul says, okay, well, hey, you go out and do it, brother. You're signing your own death sentence. But, but why don't you do this? We need to prepare you. So I've got my armor right here. It's all nice and shiny, never been used. And we want you to go ahead and just suit yourself up because you need to be prepared, quote, unquote. Well, you know the story for Samuel 17. He did do that, right? Remember, he put on the king's armor. But the, the, I like the, the way the scriptures, it was untested. What does that mean? It means it wouldn't pass a test is what that means. It wasn't, listen, it was David going out to fight with somebody else's armor on. Now, we do this a lot, don't we? We try to go out and live somebody else's life. We put on somebody else's armor. We put on somebody else's experiences as our own. David said, I can't do that. I, I, I can't do that. So he, remember, you know what he did? He took the armor off, and, and he went down, and he found five smooth stones. Now, just between me, you, and the fence posts, I believe he knew he could just do one, and he'd be fine with it. I think he had that kind of confidence already. And you know what happened thereafter? David fought his own battle with the provisions that God gave him, with him being and doing nothing but just being David. And I sometimes wonder, if we take off our masks and we just be who we are, what in the world could God do with and through us? But you see, because David was David, and because he was who he was, it revealed the true identity of a few people in his life. You remember old King Saul? Well, he was just trying to be helpful. You know what happened to King Saul after this event, don't you? He became David's enemy, sought to kill him. What else happened? You know that, he, that Saul's son, Jonathan, became David's best friend and saved him through some hard times. We need to be ourselves because I want other people around me to be themselves. Finally, determining my identity is a lifelong endeavor. It really is. Figuring out who I am, it takes time. I'm still figuring out who I am. My very first mentor in ministry was a gentleman by the name of Robert West. Robert West and his wife, Pam, were missionaries to the Ivory Coast in West Africa. They were members of our church. We ordained them, sent them out to the, to the mission field. And uh, they would come home on furlough uh, every few years, and they would stay home for about a year, year and a half, just, you know, however it was supposed to be working at the time. And as a child, I kind of grew up with, you know, with, with them doing that. And uh, it came to a point as I was an older teenager that... Uh, their time spent uh, uh, on furlough were longer and longer. And Brother Robert, I just, listen, I thank God for the men in my life who saw what God was doing before I saw it. And I'm going to tell you too, 
I don't know all of you as personally as I would love to, but for some of you, I can see that God is doing a work in your life right now. And he's not done with you yet. Let me say that again. He is not done with any of you yet. Did you know I had a fourth grade teacher? Her name was Miss uh, Mary Ann Watson. Miss Mary Ann Watson told me as a fourth grader, you can grow up to be a preacher one day. I thought she was nuts. I thought all my teachers were nuts, but that's beside the point. I, I think God just kind of had something planted in her heart to say that for me. Robert West saw it too. And he gave me bits and pieces of advice, and one of the first things he told me I've struggled with all this time. He said, Chris, be yourself. Be yourself. And you know something? I, I can honestly say that maybe only in my recent years of life, I would almost be willing to say that some of you have witnessed the majority of it. I'm okay with being me. I'm okay with just being who I am. And not everybody may like it or get it. I'm okay with that. Because I've learned that my value in life is not based upon your applause. It's not based upon your amens of sermons that don't come often enough. But I'm okay with just the way God made me, warts and all. And I think the more that I become okay with that, I'm going to be okay with being a pastor. I'm going to be okay in preaching. I'm going to be okay in leading. I'm going to be okay as a father. I'm going to be okay as, as a husband. And I'll just kind of enjoy life a little bit more because I finally realized that, that God intended to create me to be just who I am. And my same story applies to every single one of you here today. You are no different than me. And I am no different from you. Because when we start to get it right, when we, when we finally figure out, God, I think you really meant what you meant to do when you created me, the way you created me and my personality and whatever. When we start to get it right, I can promise you, you will shake this world for Jesus. Let me give you another biblical illustration. His name is Peter. Peter, the apostle, started out as a fisherman. In terms of being a disciple, he had no pedigree. He was a fisherman. The only thing he had was his perch. He had nothing. Think about it. Not educated. No money. Fishermen were not known for their wealth. Jesus said, don't care about anything like that. I'm picking him. And so he picked Peter. Who was Peter? Peter was impulsive. Peter would jump out the boat, go walk on some water, and then realize where he was and get in trouble, right? Peter was easily excitable too, wasn't he? Very emotional about, about, about things. He you know, went up on that mountaintop experience and with Jesus, and he, next thing you know, he wanted to turn into a campground. He was also full of truth because you remember in Matthew 16... When everybody was getting the identity of Jesus wrong, he says, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, right you are, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. The Spirit of God revealed that to you. And I'm telling you, you are Peter. 
And upon this rock, meaning that confession, I'm going to build my church. So he was excitable and he was emotional, but he was full of truth. But he was also easily angered. He'd just soon cut your ear off then to hear what you had to say about anything. But also he was a liar under pressure. Warming himself by the fire the very night that Jesus was on trial, he lied to a little girl and said that he didn't know who that man was. Now, all of his, Jesus' earthly ministry, think about this, all of Jesus' earthly ministry, it didn't seem like Peter got a whole lot right. Matter of fact, the only thing he needed to do after Jesus died and was buried was go back fishing. John 21 finds him doing just that. He's back fishing in John chapter 21. But here's what's cool about Jesus. He went back to Peter. You remember? And wanted, and wanted some breakfast. Peter gave him some fish. He was cooking some fish right there. And, and you know what happened? Jesus asked Peter about his love for him and Peter replied, I do love you, Lord. Peter was reinstated as his disciple. And after that moment, there was not a single huge, big mistake Peter ever did. He turned this world upside down after that moment. You may think that God's done with you. You may think that that you've had your chance. You may think you've had that opportunity. But that's not the case. There's an old song. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How lovely and patient he must be. He's still working on me. Use this green one, guys. I, I don't know who you are. If you're really you, I don't know if you're putting on somebody else's armor and you're trying to live your life with, you know, clothes and something you ain't supposed to have. But I do know this. George O'Leary's life wasn't over either. You would think that after being found out about lying on his resume and he he was fired from the head coaching position of uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish, you think, well, he's done. He's washed up. No. It wasn't. It wasn't the end of the line for him. He went to spend some time, I believe it was a a defensive coordinator with Minnesota Vikings NFL team. And he stayed there for a short while, and then a college down here in Florida called him up one day. University of Central Florida, down in Orlando. said, hey, we, we need a football program. We don't have anything really to note here. Would you come? Coach O'Leary, and would you would you mind coaching us and kind of build this team? I, I didn't hear the transcript of that conversation, but I imagine it could have been, you know, filled with something like this. Are you sure you got the right man? D- have you forgotten what I have done? Do you realize I was fired because I lied about who I was? Y- yeah, yeah, we, we understand that, but we, we still believe in you. We still believe that there's some good coaching left within you. If that's, a, I mean, we just believe that, Coach. So would you consider coming down here? Sure enough, he did. He came and he built a very reputable football program. He's still there to this day. 
they beat some notable teams over the past several years. They, they beat the Georgia Bulldogs in the Liberty Bowl a few years ago. They beat number six Louisville in 2013. They beat Penn State. They beat number six Baylor in, in the, in the, in the uh, Fiesta Bowl a couple years ago. You may not remember their junior quarterback during that game. You know what his name was? Blake Bortles. Yeah, you see, sometimes we get it all wrong, don't we? Sometimes we, we really get it messed up. The Bible says, don't bear false witness. Don't do it. It'll come back to haunt you one day. Just, just be who you are. And I am so thankful as a five-year-old little boy in my living room one night, I didn't understand all the theology behind it, but I understood enough that who I was was a sinner. I knew that I was born with a, a separation between me and God. And I knew that it was sin in my life that perpetuated that division between me and God. And that it was only by admitting who I really was that Jesus through the cross would would would, would would eliminate that divide. And if I were to confess him as my Lord and Savior, he would come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and give me eternal life. And that's the beginning of a new life. The Bible says, in Christ, all things have passed away. Behold, all things become new again. And I'm just letting you know this morning, if you don't get anything else at a sermon, I want you to understand this. With Jesus, you can start again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, God, for the truth of your word, which can radically change our life when we allow it to radically invade our hearts. And Father, I, I believe that in uh, every congregation, every opportunity, uh, Lord, that we have <clears throat> to, to speak your word, Lord, within that group, there'll be someone who's struggling with their identity. There'll be people who, who just don't, they're not, they've not been comfortable who they, with, with who they are. But Father, this morning, I want folks to have an opportunity to finally say for once in their life, it's gonna be well with my soul, Lord, because I'm gonna to admit to you who I am and I'm gonna to admit to you, God, that I need you more than ever. Father, forgive me for trying to wear someone else's armor, trying to live someone else's identity, trying to sustain my life through someone else's strength. God, I'm tired of keeping this bitterness in my life. God, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of, uh, of just being this person that I know that I'm not. I have been so much closer to you in my life before and I feel so distant now. God, would you please come in and through your blood, would you just kind of eliminate that divide? Draw me close to you, Lord. I don't know if any of those prayers kind of resonate with where you are or what you're doing in life right now, but I believe they'll resonate with, with some of you. So this morning, we're gonna stand, we're gonna sing the song, It Is Well With My Soul, and I'm gonna ask you to come. If this is something you've struggled with, come. Finally be and finally show others who you really are. Let's all stand together. And let me pray over you, Father in heaven, as we sing.
decisions will have to be made. People are going to be struggling over some things, and I, and I get that. I also realize, Lord, that admitting things in a crowd of other people is not always the easiest thing in the world to do, and I get that too. So I'm just going to lift everybody up here, Lord, and I, I just pray that you will find them right where they are, and you lead them, strengthen them to do what they need to do this morning. for your glory and for their eternal benefit. In Jesus' name we pray.